27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your shirt either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is, it, is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. This is the word of God. Really easy to understand with your head, that passage. Really hard to understand with your heart. Before Johnny comes and uh, speaks to us about that and challenges us, God willing, we're going to sing uh, uh, a hymn that we don't sing very often. We haven't sung it for a while. Some of you will know it well. But it's really a prayer that we might hear God's word, that God might teach us his ways. It's uh, the old hymn, Teach Me Your Ways, O Lord. Teach me your ways. And I invite us to stand and sing this prayerfully and reflectively as we come to be challenged from the word of God. Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way.
hear from your word now that you might teach us your way and lead us in righteousness for your glory. Amen. years back we were visiting some of my wife's relatives in Canada and we weren't brave enough to drive because they drive on the wrong side of the road. Um, so our cousins drove us around. Anyway, we must have been going in the car and Tim, our cousin, missed a turn or something and I was really annoyed at himself. So I just said to him, I oh, don't worry Tim, just, there's, a, there's a turn coming up, just chuck a Yui. car went silent for a while before they all started cracking up laughing. They, apparently no one else in the world outside of Australia knows what it means to chuck a Yui. They thought I was nuts. They don't know how to chuck sickies. Uh, he didn't know what a brolly was, or a botlo, or an arvo, or a flano, or an esky, or a mozzie. He'd never heard of any of these things. Uh, we had a visitor from, um, from Singapore who's going to be joining us in youth group for a while. She probably has no idea what I'm talking about either. Um, so he thought I was just making stuff up. Sounds like English. Sounds a lot like English, but good luck figuring out what I was talking about. Maybe you've had your own uh, tourist experiences where culture and, and language just don't really compute. You don't know what you're hearing or looking at, really. Or maybe you've had, you know, a migrant experience. You've moved countries and it's like starting again, isn't it? It is starting again. And you've got to figure out stuff from scratch. And some things just don't make sense. They never make sense, even if someone explains it to you. It feels kind of foreign, because it is. Some of the things that Jesus says can make us feel like that. You know, he speaks and and brings this seemingly totally foreign way of thinking and talking. He brings he brings the culture and the language of heaven with him and here and now into our world where we live, we have no idea what he's talking about. We're not used to it. It just sounds weird. But maybe that's because the distance between God and man is, is so great. We've moved ourselves, right? We've moved ourselves so far away and spent all this time doing our own thing that when God comes and speaks to us, we find our Creator very strange by comparison. We've forgotten the way it's supposed to be. Now, whose fault is that? If I get up and move away and then realize, hey, I'm so far away from you. But it is strange. Uh, when you speak across cultures like that, there's bound to be a bit of you know, lost in translation. I remember back in school, we all had to study languages because we had to, I think. Uh, so year seven, I did German, we had, and just kept at it. And there was this one year where they set us up with all these um, pen pals from around the world, depending on, on um, what language you studied. So there were some French ones and some Japanese ones and some German ones. And we'd practice writing things. I'd write in German and send a letter off, and some German kid would get practice writing back in English. It was, it was pretty good. Anyway, we couldn't say anything that interesting, you could imagine. Um, I could tell them who was in my family and what subjects I did and what hobbies I had, and that was about it. Uh, but it was nice getting letters. This one girl, though, in, in French class writes to a pen pal, Hello, my name is Blah. I'm 13 years old. I love stuffed animals. I've got a rabbit. I've got a bear. I've got a dog. I love them very much. She gets back this letter with a package. And now we're all pretty jealous of her at this point because... We got a little letter we couldn't really understand, and she got a, she got a big package. 
opens it up and she pulls out this really gross, dead, taxidermy duck. And she reads a note. The note says, It sounds like a strange hobby you have, but here's the stuffed duckling fresh from my uncle's farm to add to your collection. Enjoy. <laughs> so she was horrified. She, she felt so bad for that poor little duck. Apparently she picked the wrong word for stuffed animal. And she got a stuffed animal. <laughs> Lost in translation. Now when Jesus speaks in Luke 6, I suspect plenty of people in the crowd would have gotten a bit lost too. Not that he didn't speak in the language they understood. Not that he wasn't clear in his word choice. His language skills wasn't the problem. He was probably very clear in what he was getting at. A bit too clear, maybe. Now he loses people, and they don't get it because of the content of what he sounds. It just sounds crazy. So culturally different to what they know. Listen to what Jesus says. Luke chapter 6, starting from verse 27. But I tell you, who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. Someone takes your cloak, don't stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. It's pretty hard to miss his point. He goes into length to explain it. And the response, you can imagine, what? Really, Jesus? I mean, that last verse, 31, sounds pretty good. Do unto others as you have them do to you. Sounds nice, but all the other things that come before it. Sorry, Jesus, I must have heard you wrong. Did you say we were meant to love our... You said we're supposed to love our friends and family, right? Does that make sense? Treat people well who treat us well. We pray for the good of our country. We, we, we pray for our kids. Yeah, I can get on board with that. Do to others what <clears throat> you'd have them do to you, so I'll leave them alone because I want them to leave me alone. That's, that's fine. Sounds good. That's not what Jesus says, is it? He doesn't say, love your friends and family. Excuse me. <clears throat> he doesn't say to love your friends and family. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. It's hard to even say. Your brain almost wants to stop before you get to the end of each of those clauses because the words together in that order just, they just don't make sense. So foreign. Love your enemies? Why? They're, they're my enemies. I thought you were supposed to destroy your enemies. You know, speak badly of them to other people, slander them, get people on your side against them, entertain thoughts about destroying them, getting sweet vengeance and shutting them down. Love them. That's the last thing I want to do. It sounds very strange. Verse 29, we, we learn all sorts of self-defense strategies, and this is not one of them. 29 says, If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, this isn't Rocky Balboa trying to tire his opponent out by offering his face to sort of get wailed on until they punch themselves tired. This is, this is non-retaliation. 
as if someone takes your cloak, don't stop him. Don't stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks of you. If anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. It sounds like he's asking us to be, you know, punching bags, doormats. And the pride inside of us says, no way. Only he's not saying to be a doormat or a punching bag. And it's not, it's not for a lack of power. He's not saying put up with it because you can't help yourself. Right from the beginning, this is an active thing that he's asking us to do. He says right from the beginning in that verse, how he wants you to treat people is love. It's because you love them that you don't hit them back. It's because you love them that you're generous with them. Even when they have no claims on you. Now, is he serious? Because you know who Jesus has in mind here when he's talking about people who wants to hurt them. Uh, this bit in the chapter comes right after the first part of chapter 6 where he's started to talk about people who will come and persecute them and make them suffer because of the name of Jesus. He's just told them, they will hate you, they will exclude you, they will reject you, they will ignore you. When you identify yourself as a Christian, guess what, they'll come after you. And how you're supposed to treat them isn't just simple opposition. I know how to do that. No, Jesus says, love your neighbor. Even those who really don't like you. Now, this is no deviation from what God has said before. Uh, Israel, God's old covenant chosen people, they were told right from the beginning, you know, back right at the formation of the nation, at the giving of the law, Leviticus 19, I read to you, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, your God, says God, way back in Leviticus. And ever since then, God's intention was given. And ever since then, his people have been trying to put limits about how far to take it. I mean, love my neighbor, fine, but who's my neighbor? Right? If you're clever, you can define neighbor to be just about anyone you want to, the people you like, maybe, people you get along with, the people who literally live next to you left and right. Everyone else, <laughs> you're on your own. You're not my neighbor, I don't have to love you. And particularly over the years and centuries of conflicts that the Jews have found themselves in, wars and exiles and foreign powers taking them over, you'd almost forgive them for figuring that love your neighbor for a Jewish man was restricted to, let's just love our fellow Jews. Let's look after each other. That's not what Jesus is talking about here, is it? It's not what God had asked them to do. It's not... Leviticus 19, and it's not what Jesus is saying here, because who is my neighbor? Who does God want me to love? It was always everyone. I'm not supposed to draw arbitrary lines in the sand and say, well, if you're on this side, then I love you. And if you're on that side, if you've hurt me, if you've crossed me, if you're fill in the blank, if you're whatever it is, then you're on the other side, and then guess what, I don't have to love you anymore. Now, from the examples given here in Luke 6, it doesn't seem like Jesus is talking about uh, almost emotional affection when he talks about love. 
He's not saying you've got to feel warm and fuzzy about everyone. It seems to be more about a willingness to serve them and to genuinely do good for the other person, to want to do good for the other person and for their life to turn out well. You actually wish them well. You bless them. You pray for them. It seems natural to hate those who hate you. You know, someone throws that water bomb at you, you want payback. Even on little things, let alone the big ones. But the disciples are to return hate with love. Uh, a few ways spelled out for us. Wish and pray for the good of those who curse you and insult you. Right, it seems in context, even, even though they're being unjust or they're being violent, don't seek revenge. Not paying back hatred with hatred, but with love, doing what's best for them. Some of you more uh, just and upright types might be thinking, wait a second, sometimes firm action needs to be called for. It can't just be soft all the time. And I think you're right, now firm action is sometimes called for, but you don't do that vindictively, you don't do that with pleasure. Now, at one point, we see Jesus himself getting struck on the cheek by an official as he's getting uh, his, his final trial. Remember that scene? He gets hit in the face and Jesus actually rebukes the man who hit him. He says, uh, John 18, Jesus says, show me what I've done wrong. And if I haven't done any, anything wrong, why did you strike me? So he's not confirming the man in his wickedness. He's not saying, just go for it, do whatever you want, that's okay. No, he's wanting to bring the guy to repentance. What he's showing us is he's bringing a conquering of evil with good. He doesn't hit him back, but he rebukes him because he's got the real best interest of this official that hit him in heart. Love has to motivate whenever we have to even take severe measures. You know that when you're a parent or when you're a teacher or when you're a policeman enforcing discipline, you don't do it harshly. And when you do, when you put your own interests into the foreground and it never turns out well. That's the messy territory people get into. You might have noticed that the context that Jesus starts speaking into is being when we get persecuted for being Christian. But by verse 30, it seems like it's broadened out a bit. He seems to apply that same sort of principle to more general situations. Even just before verse 29, apparently being struck on the cheek... It's like a, it's a particular sort of insult, like a slap in the face with a glove. The damage done might well be more emotional and social than just physical. And robbery is the next illusion there in verse 30. Uh, someone takes your cloak, whatever you ask, whatever, whatever, whatever it is they've taken, don't ask for it back, give. There's a select few people that we're willing to do this sort of thing for, I suspect, already. We willingly and freely give and forgive sometimes our children or family members or close friends. We just don't count the cost for some of those things. But Jesus seems to be saying, don't just treat a select few people like that. You're supposed to treat everybody generously, including those who have no legitimate claim over you. Love them. What we want to do is to start putting parameters around our generosity 
and around love. We start wanting to play the limiting game. We want to say, who's my neighbor? Okay, not you, (laughs) not you. These people, sure. We say, no, Jesus, Jesus isn't being literal here. He's he's exaggerating. He's making a point. He's, He's purposely going to the nth degree. And so we begin to excuse ourselves from being able to take him seriously. And he might be using some hyperbole here. He's he's giving extreme examples. But I think he seriously means for the spirit of his command to be obeyed. Played out into every corner of our lives. Now, verse 31 is a bit of a summary. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. And notice he's not saying don't hurt people for fear of retaliation. He's not saying that. He's saying, treat others positively. Almost regardless of how they treat you. Why? Uh, There's two reasons that he gives us in this next section. Uh, It's because, one, God rewards that kind of behavior, and two, he wants you to do it because that's what God himself is like. Be merciful like your father is merciful. That's how the section ends. Come read verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But... Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. Because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. If we do good to those people who you know, we hope will do good back to us, that's pretty common. And we do that all the time. Do bad things to people when they've done bad things to us. That's also pretty common. Doing good things to those who've done bad things to us, that's unheard of. You know, that's, it's not wrong to do otherwise. You know, it's not wrong to love people who love their friends. And it's not wrong for us to, to love our friends. But it's not commendable. It's just ordinary. What brings the approval of God, Jesus says, is when you start acting like God. God sees, God knows, God cares how you treat people. He wants you to be selflessly generous and and loving because that's how God is. That's how he sort of seems to draw the equation. Ultimate reality is merciful. And reason two, the first reason is there'll be great reward. Again, not as much detail as I'd like, but enough for me. The reward is not small, but great. Reason two, we're supposed to show ourselves to be his children by imitating his character. Because it seems that God is, and you know this, God is unfailingly kind and merciful to both good and bad people. Those times when you feel threatened or hurt or offended or betrayed or taken advantage of for the actions of someone in your life, 
That's what we do to God all the time. We ignore him. He says one thing that's meant for our good, we go off and do our own thing. We trash his world, we trash each other. We laugh in his face. We fail. And guess who's there to pick up the pieces? Who's there to sustain us and provide for us? How does he treat us? He treats us patiently and generously and mercifully. In the fullness of time, he sends his son to die for us. To fix the darkness in us that we didn't even know we had. Let alone thought could be fixed. Be merciful as God is merciful. That's the pattern to follow. That's what the Spirit is working in us. That's what he's prompting you towards. Go with it. We could, in our false wisdom, excuse ourselves at this point find ways of not doing what Jesus says here because it's impractical or we could say it's unwise we could say it's too hard and and don't even try we could say we've got to look after ourselves first otherwise we're in no position to be of any use to people it's better to protect ourselves isn't it And and to hold on to hate and to make sure no one wrongs us and gets away with it to put boundaries and limits on who you're going to love because it's unwise not to you're so vulnerable people will take advantage But where is the wise man? Where is the philosopher of this age? The apostle writes in Corinthians. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Has God not chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise? God chose the weak things to shame the strong. God's wisdom is Christ crucified. Who's become for us our righteousness, our redemption, our way. It's so like us, isn't it? Jesus brings to us the culture of heaven and it's like he's speaking this beautiful language that none of us understand. And we're happy to hear it. We're happy for him to talk to us and to, and to bring this thing to our attention, but we don't really want to do it. We don't want to learn to speak like Jesus does. We don't know what he's talking about. It's so outside of our experience of things. We think it's kind of unwise, really, Jesus, and impractical fine for you to bless us but that's about where the buck stops that is I think until God shows you the beauty of the wisdom that is in the way of the cross until God shows you Jesus crucified for you gives us who are his enemies life a shot at life you know brings us who've hurt him and continue to hurt him He brings us into his family. Those of us who put our trust in Jesus. And he kind of puts this baton in your hands and says, run with it. Be merciful. Just as your father is merciful. Now we have a lot to learn. But you've got to start somewhere. I guess I'm learning a new language. I guess learning a new language and a new culture is, is always like that. If I ever told you about my very limited language abilities and broken Cantonese, it's embarrassing. I used to work in this um, tiny little retail shop in Hornsby, a uh, $2 shop sort of thing, and from time to time you'd have this Cantonese speaker or a Mandarin speaker come in and they see my face and assume I'm fluent. 
doesn't take long for that illusion to disappear. Uh, my Cantonese is bad. My Mandarin is non-existent. Uh, and you know what? I'd work on it, except I don't think, seriously, though, I'm, I'm never going to use it. I don't think I'm ever going to live in a place where the only thing that I'm going to have to speak is Cantonese. So I don't work on it, do I? But if I did, if I had plans to move to Hong Kong, if they said, look, Johnny, you're going to have to go and you'll never come back, I'll do what you'd do. I'd start practicing. It's what we do when you know you're moving somewhere where the language and culture is different. Well, heaven is our home. The culture, the, the kingdom of heaven is breaking into the world we know with the coming of Jesus. You know where the ship is sailing. You know sort of where, when you stepped on board, you, you know what you're signing up for, don't you? You're part of the family. You've got to start getting used to the culture and the language of the kingdom where we're going to belong. Start practicing. Listen to the gracious words of God and sound out the vows after him. You'll get it. You will get it. You'll immerse yourself in his self-giving love again and again and again and hopefully it'll start rubbing off on you. And when you forget what it sounds like, just dip yourself back in. Have him speak to you again. That's the only way we're going to learn. Let me pray. Father, some of us have people in our lives who have hurt us deeply. And all of us find it hard to love people who don't love us. And who frankly have made our lives harder than if they weren't in our lives. We can imagine, some of us don't have to imagine because it's real, uh, when we identify ourselves as your people that we're going to get a lot of uh, flack, opposition, people who ridicule and mock if we were to just identify ourselves. But you love us. You loved us when we were your enemies. Jesus died for us when we were still sinners. Even, even now when we continue to hurt you, you give us your spirit to minister to our needs. You've made us part of your family, so Father, teach us. Work in us by your spirit to help us love our enemies and those, those people who've hurt us. Help us so we can be generous and merciful like you are. We don't just want to be a place here where there's lots of different cultures represented. We, we don't want to just be a multicultural community. Father, we pray that we would be a place where your culture, your kingdom is what sets the tone. And what people notice isn't that what people notice isn't that there's just lots of different people from different generations together, but that here are people who are profoundly shaped by your love and who continue to love people in response. That's what we want people to notice amongst us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Before Johnny spoke, we sang a prayer. Lord, teach me your way. Help me to hear your word and teach me in your ways. We're going to finish by singing two more prayers, asking that God, having heard his word, would change.